Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, HSG, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we have Brenda Vickers from the University of Washington HD Center of Excellence on with us. Brenda has been a registered nurse at the University of Washington Huntington's Disease Center of Excellence since October 2011. She currently splits her time between the HD clinic and her longstanding position as a research um, RN in the Department of Urology within the University of Washington School of Medicine. So for the past 23 years, her research work has been focused on working with neurologically impaired patients exclusively as it pertains to the neurological impact on bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction. So in this unique and specialized position, she has been an essential part of many publications in this field throughout the years and is passionate about her work in helping others uh, to talk about these topics that have and often are considered taboo. When she began her job in the Center of Excellence, she was not surprised that many of the patients being seen in the clinic had complaints related to bladder, bowel, and sexual dysfunction. She found that these concerns were also commonly brought up in the general HD community and not well understood. She's passionate about providing teaching and education to patients, family members, and the HD community regarding these topics and available treatments with a much larger goal of improving quality of life. Thank you so much for joining me, Brenda. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. It's a great introduction and definitely speaks to my past experiences with um, Huntington's disease and what I do find really important in how Huntington's can affect bladder, bowel, and sexual function. Things that when 10 years ago I came to our clinic were not talked about much and you know, definitely a lack of understanding at that time. Typically, you know, a patient that would come in if they were having bladder problems or bowel problems would present more so with what was being just looked at from a perseverative view, you know, perseverating on their bladder, perseverating on their bowel, spending, you know, just long, long periods of time throughout the day in the bathroom trying to manage things. And being kind of deemed more kind of a psychiatric feature of the disease, more so than a physiological disease that actually involves the bladder and the bowels. So my experience in urology, working with other neurological diseases, and also just in the general population is that people that have bowel and bladder problems tend to perseverate on bowel and bladder problems. You don't have to have a neurological disease in order to have your life impacted. Oh, you're fine. That's okay. The dogs are joining the conversation. Um, and I love it. Um, so okay. I love that. Okay. So I love that you focus on the urologic side of things. 
especially because you mentioned that people were, it was seen as perseveration, but it really was an actual issue um, because, you know, I, you know that my father um, had HD and that's something we definitely dealt with, right? Like he needed to continuously go into the bathroom and he wouldn't be able to, to go to the bathroom. And so we were those that, you know, I didn't, I thought there was an actual problem, but my mom would tell me all the time, um, oh, it's just in his head. He just feels like he's got to go and he, you know, he doesn't really have to go. He's just obsessing about it. So I love that you did this research um, because I want to hear about what you found. Yeah, so part of the driving, you know, force in me bringing this research into our center of excellence was trying to convince the population that this was a real thing. You know, it baffled my mind just across the community that we are so accepting of these issues and other neurological diseases, diseases that we had previously studied, so MS, Parkinson's, any of these things where the brain wiring simply is just wrong and we know that. And at its heart, Huntington's is all about bad wiring, bad brain messages, muscle discoordination, nothing in the body is doing what it should be as it's being asked to. That being said, where at a common sense level, it would make sense, like, okay, how do we put this out there, put some numbers on it, do some research to actually show that this is a thing. Um, part of that was also sparked, you know, early in our practice by kind of doing, I don't want to say test cases, it wasn't that, but what would it look like if we had a patient that was perseverating about their bladder and their bowels and we treated it? And we treated it like we would if they came to us in urology. There's medications that can slow down those messages that the bladder gets where, you know, maybe you've got to go really frequently. Maybe you got to go really urgently where typically that message would come in. You're like, oh, I'm thinking I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I'm probably thinking a little bit more. Oh, I should find the bathroom where... In some diseases, all of those early messages are just gone. And the message you get is, I got to go right now, you know, and you can't make it. So medications that can kind of slow down that message and just kind of give you more time to get there. You know, what if putting people on bowel programs where we did stool softeners and got them regular? What would happen if we just did that, you know, to this? thought that maybe this is just OCD, maybe this is just perseveration, maybe it's just all of these things and no matter what we do to treat them, we're still going to be stuck with this. And what we found was that wasn't true. We were treating their bladder and their perseveration on their bladder and their OCD about their bladder and their bowels would go away. And so how do you quantify that by just doing these interviews with our patients over time and also looking at people that were pre-symptomatic, just very early manifest HD, all along in that mid-range, and then at end-stage more advanced disease, what, you know, what are we finding in this? And I'm gonna try not to throw a lot of numbers in here. We did publish this paper, but you know, what we found in the patients that we studied was 39% of the people that we looked at had 
bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction, pretty high percentage. The most common dysfunction was bladder dysfunction, not surprising. We see this a lot in our clinic with incontinence, um, urinary frequency, urgency, both of those can be contributing to the incontinence. With the bladder stuff, there were some small differences between men and women. We looked at that, but altogether, you know, not really significant, both very impaired by the bladder symptoms. Bowel was another, you know, big thing with 60% of our people endorsing bowel dysfunction. Um, much of it was constipation, 43%, 25% with chronic diarrhea that, you know, comes up in our, you know, in our clinics, you know, as well. How do, how do we treat these things? And the sexual side of things, you know, these areas, we kind of lump them together in our studies. So when we look at bladder, bowel, and sexual function, they all are kind of originating in the same spot in the brain coming down through those nerve trackways. So it did not surprise us that there was such a high percentage of patients having complaints or dysfunction in all three areas. It more surprises us if people are having problem in at least two of those areas like bowel, bladder, that they may not be having some dysfunction, you know, with the sexual function too. Um, a little bit different in the sexual side. I just want to just throw this out here too, because it was, you know, it was interesting to my providers and just kind of from a surprise standpoint that what we found was, you know, 83% of the people that we were interviewing regarding sex were still very interested in having sex, um, you know, interested still finding enjoyment there with 56% um, reporting some dysfunction. So I think as time moves on and here we are, you know, 2021, moving into 2022, it's much more accepted to talk about sex and, you know, what it was before. And as a society, we've come to a point where we don't just take that off the table because people are disabled or because they have a chronic disease, nor should we. So just recognizing that these are three areas that we really have kind of devoted a lot of time and years in researching in these other diseases, feeling that Huntington's was very worthy of the same research so that we could get it out there in a manner to really support what I think you all are experiencing and know when you have a loved one with Huntington's that's experiencing some of these things. I think I've found in dealing with our patients, one of the biggest things is, you know, people are just wondering, is this Huntington's? Is it the Huntington's that's causing these bladder problems? Is it the Huntington's that's causing the bowel problems? And the answer is 100% yes, 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 and yes. And so, you know, being able to bring that under the umbrella of so many other things that are happening with Huntington's 
I think is comforting for families and patients too, because, you know, we're taught at a very young age, continence, you know, the brain drive is not to wet yourself in front of people or in public settings, not to soil yourself in public settings. And at the heart of all of us, and dignity, quality of life, all of those things is that ability to stay continent. And oftentimes that is also taken away with Huntington's, you know, severely impacting, you know, the quality of life, mental health, and all of those things. There was an interesting study many years ago that just stuck with me so, so much in patients that have MS and the impact that it had on their lives being confined to a wheelchair versus being incontinent and the problems that that arose, keeping them in their house and all of that. And people accepted being confined to a wheelchair far more, you know, far better than they did having these incontinence and bowel issues. So it's very, it's very important. It's just very important. So I'm curious, um, did you find that there was more, you know, as, as, as the disease progressed, or did you find these issues in pre-symptomatic and early manifest, um, you know, or was yeah. it about the same across the board? Yes, so we looked at that, and, you know, we found symptoms in early HD all the way up through the late stage. If you just looked at the continuum as a whole from early to late disease, there was a definite progression. The whole mid-disease, you know, when you're first becoming symptomatic into kind of moving into that later stage, it was really just a cross of symptoms. So, you know, taking mid-stage to late stage, for instance, you know, I'm not going to say it was about the same, but there wasn't necessarily the predictable pattern that you might think of progression. So some things were much worse, you know, in the mid stage and less in the advanced stage and vice versa across symptomatology. So I know that's a, that's kind of a tough, kind of a tough thing to explain, but as a whole, Yes, and that was based on disease stage. We did have some progression in some urinary symptoms due to age. You know, we know that aging folks tend to get more urinary problems as a whole, but that did not really play out in what we were finding as the most symptomatic um, urinary features, bowel features in HD. For instance, you know, the most disabling things that we brought up in this study being, you know, frequency, urgency, were not the fact that all of us as we get older have to get up at nighttime and pee. We just do. Or that men sometimes take a little longer to pee. You know, yes, they fall out in symptoms, but they weren't the highest presenting symptoms. So there were some, there were some differences there based in age, but, you know, we had kind of looked to see, all right, we know that some of the medications that people take for Huntington's can have an effect on all of these things. So 
trying to figure out, okay, is there any correlation between the medications? Because if symptoms were getting worse as disease progressed, you know, you would, I just lost my, completely lost what I was saying, Lauren. We just need to back up out of the No, you're, you're, you're fine. So, so oh, basically, you know, seeing if there was any type of progression in regards to um, the symptoms or if it was just the same across the board for all stages um, is what you were getting into and, um, you know, how medications yeah. may play a role and um, how they won't, you know, some things just, just are, right? Like age, age makes a huge deal because um, you have urinary symptoms anyway. But I think it's really, really good to know that you can see those symptoms at any point in the disease. Um, I think that's something that's very important. I also think the reason that this is so important is um, and you mentioned it, is quality of life, right? So if you know whether or not it's due to HD, ultimately, you know, yes, we want to know that. But more than that, we want to know how to have a quality of life with it, right? So are there things that are going to help? Are there things that we can do to, you know, to adapt to the new normal, so to speak? Um, so I think this research is very important for that. It is, thank you. I, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I think knowing, you know, regardless of where the severity of symptoms is from the pre-manifest to the advanced stages, you know, if you're in that mid group and you're symptomatic or you're in that early group and you're symptomatic or you're in that late group and you're symptomatic, it doesn't really matter. You're symptomatic. We can look at your TFC scores. We can see what your motor scores are. We can look at medicines. We can see, you know, okay, are you on two medicines? Are you on five medicines? And all of these things really didn't change the fact that you are symptomatic. You have this issue that potentially is just keeping you in your house. Like I can't go out because there's not enough bathrooms. I honestly don't know what people have done during COVID because even what your normal stop at the gas station, stop at, you know, whatever the fast food restaurant is, there's been nothing. People don't leave their house for many, many reasons. But, you know, meeting our patients where they are that are symptomatic and saying, you know, what can we do? You know, medications are a great thing and they work really well with our patients. You know, kind of a unique situation at our center of excellence where we have neurologists who are actively prescribing bladder medications, putting people on a bowel program, and even occasionally doing the Viagra, Cialis, and, and all of that, which is fine. You know, we're comfortable doing that. Um, I would guess that there are probably many other neurologists who might not be so comfortable with that. But that being said, has certainly worked with you know, primary cares who see other women, other men with the same sort of urgency frequency. Again, it's, it's very common in, 
you know, just the general population for other reasons as well. So starting with just the basic, you know, medications to kind of help slow that down can be very, very successful. The bowel problems that can be really hard, you know, I just preach stool softeners, stool softeners, stool softeners, take them. There's no downside. They are just meant to make you poop. They're not, you know, they're not um, like an X-lax. It's, you know, it's not that. But you stay on them. And we make our patients take them every day and not wait till you're constipated. Take a bunch of stool softeners. Then you empty out. Then you just start the cycle again. It's every day. Just take them. Just take them. Just take them. Keeps things soft. Keeps things moving so you don't get constipated and uncomfortable. What we do know in my years in the neurourology too is that bowel symptoms significantly will make bladder symptoms worse. If your bowels are bad, your bladder is not going to function properly either. And oftentimes in our urology practice, when we're seeing people, it's the first thing we do. I will call patients, they did this for years and say, okay, go get your colase, go get your doctor's gate at the pharmacy. We're going to get you on a bowel program before you come in. Because if you come in and we don't have you on a bowel program, we're not starting bladder meds. This is first. Make sure you're pooping every three days. Two days is better. Every day would be great, but we'll take every third day. If you haven't done that by the third day, then more stool softeners keep going. For those people that have, you know, the, the diarrhea, that is a really, really difficult thing. I wish that we had, you know, maybe better options for these patients. You know, what you would worry about and things that we do for people for diarrhea is not having a rebound and then making somebody very constipated. So trying to firm up those stools, get things a little more under control, like with the Miralax and everything, probably shouldn't say this, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I said that, um, you know, if there is this chronic diarrhea, it is perfectly acceptable say, get the over-the-counter Imodium and the night before you're planning on going out, take a dose that night, you get up in the morning, take a dose, keeps you from having an issue for that day while you're out. It's not a long-term treatment, but it will allow you to leave your house. It works well. Don't, there isn't a great treatment overall, you know, for daily um, treatment of that, but you know, what people can tolerate when they're home and a bathroom is close by, you know, for urinary symptoms, bowel symptoms, that is one, you know, that is one thing. And even though it can be hard and mentally taxing, your toilet's available and it's just a little easier to deal with getting out of the house. We need to know how, how do we do that? Some of the bladder medications that you know, can be taken on a daily basis to help those things. All of them can be doubled up if you're planning on taking a trip. So we'll say, hey, you want to go to the movies and you know you're going to be gone for four hours, take a double dose, sit through the movie. It's not what you're going to do seven days out of the week, but this is, this is fine. You're going to go on a road trip, double up, you know, go on. Maybe you get a little dry mouth, 
you know, which is about the most common side effects, you know, with some of the bladder medications, but there are ways to just, you know, cover you so that you can do those things that you want to do and be out with family or have someone over and not be so concerned about, you know, these things that you don't have any control over that are so embarrassing and hard to deal with. Right. One of the things that I read you know, and quality of life too, is the number one reason why people go from home care into either adult family homes or skilled facilities, the tipping point is incontinence. Yep. You know, it's it just becomes, hard. yeah, it just becomes too much. And yeah, I'm just thinking at this point of, you know, caring for my father in my home right now and his incontinence and the burden between the diapers and the cleaning and the laundry and the beds and all of that. And, you know, what it meant a short while back in the absence of those things and now moving into something that's totally different, you know, not Huntington's, but another disease process where there's not good awareness. There's a huge lack of awareness. And then having that struggle about how do we deal with a person who's, doesn't think he has this problem, but is wet and all of this. And those medicines, you know, they can just, they can just help smooth things out, you know, all around. We don't, we don't have perfect treatments. We can't stop someone from having all of the symptoms, but the goal is to make them more manageable, yeah. you know, and, and a better life in that life with a disease that's just as harsh anyway. Well, and Brenda, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that you shared all of this and, um, you know, that you're not just a, a professional who's giving this information. You're somebody who is living, living this right now um, with your father having Alzheimer's and having to go through that part of it with the incontinence. And so that means just that much more that you, you've, you've lived it um, and you've seen it and you know, and you realize the importance of the quality of life. And um, so I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing this information. I'm curious, are you going to continue this research? Um, you know, do you guys have plans on that? Um, as much as I would love to say no, I mean, yes. <laughs> as much as I would love to say yes, I think the answer to that is no. And the reason why is, you know, when we started this research, maybe, you know, it was a project that I came up with maybe about eight years ago, there wasn't anything out there about Huntington's and about bladder sexual dysfunction. And, you know, some other studies have come up, you know, in the community, there seems to be much more chatter and support about knowing that these things are connected, you know, to Huntington's. The challenges, and you know, I freely admit this. So I'm a nurse. I am working with the patients. I'm hands in. I'm all in on that level of just providing care. Research that gets published and gets done is usually at a much higher level. Not really focused at patient care. Not really focused at how do we, you know, address these problems, but lots of statistics, lots of pathophysiology, which 
this study that we have published is, you know, is based on that. But when you do research, there will always be people reviewing what you've done and they will be pointing out flaws in your research. And that's okay. Some of the flaws that were brought up in, in our research is, well, how do you know that the that the responses that you're getting are even valid. You know, we know Huntington's people, they have memory problems, they have cognitive problems, you know, they underreport issues, you know, there's so many things. So should we just toss what you're saying because the population of patients that you're interviewing are impaired? You know, should we just toss your information because one way to do good research is to use questionnaires for each thing that you're studying so the bladder the bowel and sexual function that have been validated and used for many 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 studies but they were too complex for our study they were they were too detailed it was too much it was like an hour and a half of questionnaires that got very very intricate and we did start the study design that way and it quickly fell apart because it was just, it was too much and backing down to, you know, a more simple level of things, but that's not, that's not, so that's not, thing, it's, it's the only thing yeah. I have to say to that because it drives me crazy. And it, one of the things I really want is, is more people with HD to have a voice. And the fact that, yes, there, there, people with Huntington's are impaired as far as cognitive function and delays and stuff, that person is still there. They still, even if they have a lack of awareness in certain areas, I promise you they have awareness over certain things. And their short-term memory is not going to forget those accidents and moments of embarrassment. And so they're there and they know what's going on and they're, you know, they just can't communicate it as fast as we would like as well and they have to have it in the more simple terms and there's nothing wrong with that my dad up until the very end knew what was going on um you know it was just slowing everything down for him right like we had to break stuff down but he he was able to tell me if he wanted a, a feeding tube and and all of this stuff i just had to be patient and realize that he couldn't communicate it as well as everybody else so I think that taking that thing of, well, these people are impaired takes away their voice, right? Like, but we're, you've got people who are not in that advanced stages and people who are in the advanced stages who are still aware enough to tell you their thoughts on it. And so to me, that impairment is not, is not taking away their ability to tell you something we just have to listen a different way um so anyway that's just my opinion on it i i, I really just um hate people who, who say that right like they're just impaired and don't listen to them and you know so i appreciate that you are you are doing that and you're working with patients and you're you're listening you're living it you know so well I am just such a huge advocate on this and more experienced than most people would have, but legitimately, 
you know, my mantra across healthcare in 27 years is you can do these tests, you can do these questionnaires, you can do all of that, but at the heart of it, what are we looking at? We're looking at a patient who has something going on that we can treat. So regardless of what we assign that to, can we treat the problem? And we should treat the problem. Even if you don't understand that it's Huntington's, even if you don't understand any of this, treat the problem. There's no downside to treating someone's bladder. There is no downside to putting someone on a bowel program. There is no downside to just having a conversation about, yeah, sex is important. And, you know, women, it's hard. We don't have treatments for women. Men, you know, Cialis, Viagra, and there's a whole nother discussion about sex and you know, Huntington's and dynamics and sometimes hypersexuality and all of that. Now I'm kind of going off on the side again a little bit, but, you know, for the things that we can treat, we should be treating. And if we just want to take Huntington's off the table, the point of the paper that we published is we need to be looking at this holistically. We're not just treating movements. We're not just treating psychiatric symptoms, the OCD, the perseverative stuff, the outbursts and all of that. We are treating everything. And we know that this is causing many problems and we should not ignore problems, especially problems that we can make better. Yep. Amen so, to that. Yeah, so I'm going to preach that. I'm going to preach that for you, sure. You keep <laughs> preaching that. Absolutely. Because we need people like you in the community who do that. Um, you know, to be able to stand up for us, for us being able to have a quality of life. So keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on and talking yeah, with no, me today. Um, we're going to end our show there. I do want to provide a few updates before ending. We do have some upcoming shows where Revolution Magazine will be coming on. And um, I spoke with the Prevent HD coordinators. Um, when I was up in Wisconsin, and so I want to share those interviews with you guys um, and the things that they said and how it really is about being, it's about teamwork. Um, so we're going to be having that. Of course, Thanksgiving is coming up. I hope that, uh, that everybody um, in the U.S. Is, is preparing for Thanksgiving and the holidays, and um, I know it's a whole new thing for me this year, um, not having my dad, it will be my first year without my dad. So um, as we enter the holidays, it's a little bit harder for me. Um, so I'm thinking about everybody as you guys are going into the holiday holidays. And um, until next time, love you guys. And Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.